Do not pass me by, O oh Jesus. And you can sing it, but do you believe it? It's always the question. Do you believe the things you actually sing? I hope so. The Emmanuel series that we're in is going to conclude today. And I hope this series has encouraged you and, and even challenged you a little bit over these many, many weeks. And you know, the main point of the series is, is that Jesus' presence in your life is an eternal, unbroken continuum. That he's with you forever. He's with you in all that you go through. He's with you in all that you face in this life. That you're never alone in all that you go through. Jesus is Emmanuel to you all the days of your life. Even in the struggle to love your neighbor as yourself, Christ is with you. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you as you struggle to love and be a neighbor to people who put you on blast. Because some people don't like you. Some people can't get along with you. Some people challenge you. They, they criticize you. And you're still called to be a neighbor to those people. And it's hard to be a neighbor to those people. And Christ is with you as you struggle to do that. He's with you as you struggle to, to love and be a neighbor to, to people who are different than you. Who live differently, believe differently, think differently. He's called you to be a neighbor to those folks as well. And that too is hard to do. You see, when it comes to loving your neighbor as yourself, the question isn't, who is my neighbor? It's, how can I be a neighbor to other people? How can each of you be a neighbor to the people that you come in contact with every day? Without favoritism, without judgment, without indifference, without expecting them to meet some expectation of yours before you will love them. That's the question Christ is answering. How can I be a neighbor to you? If you have your Bible, Luke 10, we're going to be beginning in verse 29. But he, that is the law expert, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was coming down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which is two days wages, and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The law expert said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Please pray with and for me. Father, every single word that is written in this book is your word. It's not the opinion of man. It's not the opinion of any church or denomination. It's your word. 
your very word that you inspired through your spirit. And it is truth. It is very truth. And this word is applicable to all our life. There's not a part of our life in which your word doesn't apply to. The challenge is do we live under it? And it's hard to do at times. So Holy Spirit, we're, we're not here as orphans. We're, we're not alone. We, we, you live in those of us who have faith in Jesus. And we need you. We need you. You're not the C team in the Godhead. You're part of the Godhead. We need you. We need you to move in our hearts. We need you to help us believe. We need you to help our unbelief. Yeah, we're all here today, but we're all, we all got issues too. We all, everything in our life isn't right. Everything in our life is not dandy. There are struggles. There is unbelief. There are doubts. There are insecurities. There are fears. There are uncertainties. There is stress. There are thoughts about, man, I'm about ready to give up. Holy Spirit, minister to those places today. In spite of me, minister. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. How can I be a neighbor? That's the question. It's the question Christ, Christ is answering in these verses. He's doing so for a certain Jewish religious expert. This expert, you see, he seeks a loophole in the law to love your neighbor as yourself. He's looking for a way out, you see. Because to him, to love your neighbor as yourself means to love other Jews, not non-Jews. The law expert doesn't want the law to apply to other people who are not part of his ethnicity. So Jesus tells him this illustrative parable to show him what it's like not to be a neighbor and to show him what it's like to be a neighbor. And the parable begins with this brother traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho on the Jericho Road. He just going on about his happy day, according to Jesus. And all of a sudden, he gets beat up, he gets robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. So this injured man needs help. He needs someone to be a neighbor to him. And Jesus presents the law expert with three possible candidates, three possible neighbors that can help this injured man who's on the side of the road, probably bleeding out. Now, we talked about two last week. That's the Levite and and the priest. And they are an example of how not to be a neighbor. And one of the things we learned from the Levite and priest is that Proximity to people doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a neighbor to them. Just because you see them, just because you live next door to them, just because you work with them, just because you go to church together, doesn't necessarily mean you love each other and you're neighbors to one another. It could just mean you just go to church together and that's it. You see, proximity must be coupled with connection and compassion. Connection and compassion. Connecting with a person and having compassion for that person. It's the third possible candidate in this parable that demonstrates that reality. He's close to the man, he connects with the man, and he also has compassion for the man. And he serves as an example of how we can be a neighbor to other people. And like the first two, Jesus identifies his brother. He, what do you mean by that, Pastor? He gives him a cultural identity, he gives him a religious identity. 
He gives him a national identity, and he gives him an ethnic identity. He says in verse 33, but a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. Now, I want you to stop right there for a moment because Christ is intentional here. He's intentional about using this Samaritan in this parable because guess what Jesus knows? He knows that there's a historical conflict between Jews and Samaritans. He knows that. He knows they don't like each other. They hate each other. And guess who else knows that? The law expert knows that because he lives it. To him, he would never, ever consider a Samaritan his neighbor. To him, he would never, ever be a neighbor to a Samaritan. John 4, 9 says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? It means they ain't friends. They're not BFFs. They're not going down to Starbucks and having a latte together. They're not breaking bread together. There's no relationship. There's no connection. There's no fellowship between them. The Samaritans are a biracial group of people, partly Jewish, Israelite, and partly Gentile. That's who they are. And they also have their own version of Judaism with their, with their own temple. And so there's deep separation between these two groups of people. And the hostility is so great is that some Jews I'll go out of their way to avoid any type of personal contact with a Samaritan. You see, for them to travel from Jerusalem to, to, to Galilee, the shortest route is through Samaria. But Jews will go around, they will go the long way around to get there. They won't take the shortcut, they go the long way around because they don't want to be associated with Samaritans. You see, they're segregated people by choice. And they live that way. There's no love lost between them. Jesus knows it. The law expert knows it. And the law expert has to be wondering, where is Jesus going with this parable? Because there's no way a Samaritan is going to help this man on the side of the road. I mean, if the priest and Levite didn't do it, there's no way the Samaritan is going to do it. He's a Samaritan. But this law expert's bobo is getting ready to be burst. You see? He's getting ready, his worldview is getting ready to be changed here. A few weeks ago, I went to a Mission to North America committee meeting in Atlanta. The Mission to North America is one of the standing agencies for, for our denomination, Presbyterian Church in America. And, and while there, you know, I heard a report from Chaplain Doug Lee. He's one of the military chaplains in our denomination. And he says this, he says, life is full of but the Lord. Life is full of but the Lord. Let those words rest in your heart for one moment. Life is full of but the Lord. It's true. I don't always like it because Jesus is but the Lord, his people, all the time. So what do you mean, Alex? Well, you're going on about your life. You have your plans and your agendas and your dreams and all the things you want to do. And you just are running and running and running. All of a sudden, you run into a but the Lord. What does that mean? He stops you. He redirects you. He bursts your, he bursts your bubble. And that is what Jesus does to this law expert. He but the Lord him. And he does it with these words, but a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. He's, the law expert is getting ready to see 
that loving one's neighbor means loving people who are different from him. Culturally different, different nationality, different race. He's getting ready to see what it looks like to love a neighbor. So Jesus contrasts the Samaritan's actions to the injured man with those of the priest and the Levite. The Samaritan is a neighbor to the injured man on the side of the road. It's close proximity coupled with connection and compassion. Look at verse 33 again. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where the injured man was, and he saw him. He saw him. The first contrast that Christ makes between the two is the reason why the Samaritan and the religious leaders were on the road in the first place. The two religious leaders, they were traveling down the road from Jerusalem, headed to, the Jer- to Jericho. But the Samaritan is traveling. You may ask, so what, Alice? What, what's the big deal? People travel because they're on a journey to a destination. I don't travel to go to the mailbox. I just walk there and get the mail and go back into the house. Many people are on spring break this week. They travel to the beach. They have plans. They have spring break plans. They have places to go. The Samaritan is in the process of traveling to a certain destination. He has plans to be somewhere, things to do, things to get done. He has spring break plans, okay? Spring break plans. And as he traveled the Jericho Road, he soon came in contact with this injured man. And then he stops. His plans are put on hold. His travel plans is interfered with. It is interrupted with. He puts a person over his plans. Is my point. He puts a person over his travels. Is my point. You see, being a neighbor isn't always convenient. Is it convenient? Unless you know something I don't know. Is loving people convenient all the time? No, it is not. Y'all don't sit there as if y'all, y'all know it's not. <laughs> Talk to me. It doesn't always fit into your calendar and your schedule. And we know it doesn't. We know it doesn't. Like, it interrupts our life. It interferes with our plans and, and our goals. And the challenge is, is can we put people over our plans and our agendas? Can we value people more than we value being right about everything under the sun? Can we value people more than that? The Levite and the priest didn't. They saw the injured man from a distance, and they avoided this brother like a plague. They passed by him on the other side of the road. But the Samaritan does something different. Proximity coupled with connection and compassion is seen in his actions toward the injured man. And this is Christ's second contrast. The Samaritan did not pass the injured man by. He comes to him and he checks on him. He connects with the injured man when he sees him. What does he see first? When he sees the injured man, what do you think he sees first? The first thing he sees is a man is not dead. He's not dead. He gets close enough to see that he still has life in him. He's injured but not dead. Do you get that close to people? Or do you look at them from a distance and say, that's a lost cause. And I ain't going there. 
They're already dead. They're already gone. So I'm just going to go around this way. The Samaritan gets close enough to see the injured man has physical needs. He's wounded. He's helpless. And somehow the Samaritan connects with him. He connects with this injured man's pain and his his broken situation. The text says he sees him, not through him, not past him. He identifies with him in his broken state. Remember, proximity to needs of other people isn't enough. It's not enough to simply be close to those in need. Closeness doesn't necessarily mean you're a neighbor. Listen, husband and wives are in close proximity to each other, but that doesn't mean they love each other. And it doesn't mean they like each other. They just live together. It takes more. It takes connection. Connection has to also be there. Dr. Bernie Brown, I read her quote earlier. She says, connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. When they give and receive without judgment. When they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. The injured man is seen by the Samaritan. He's heard. He's valued by the Samaritan. And the Samaritan gives to him without judgment. He gives to him without giving him a third degree interrogation. Well, sir, I see you're you're in pain. Now I'm going to need some more information before I help you. I'm going to need to know the facts of what really happened. Because all of this seems shady. So you say you've been beaten. You say you've been robbed. Now where are the eyewitnesses? Now tell me again why you were on this road. Because you know this road, say things happen on this road. Now why are you on this road? Now how many attackers were they? Was it two, three, or four? Are you sure you're the victim? Or maybe you just involved in a drug deal gone bad. Which is it, sir? He doesn't interrogate the man. He does something else. It says he had compassion on the man and his broken state. Not interrogation. It says he felt compassion for the injured man. He was moved with compassion. And the message, the message Bible says his heart goes out to him. Does your heart go out to people? I mean, come on, church. When you see people in pain, does your heart go out to them? Or do you say they just get what they deserve? So do your heart goes out to them? Does our heart go out to them? Again, we the church, not the government. We the church. And if we don't love, if we don't show compassion, who will? Because we are beneficiaries of a compassion that no one else has ever experienced on the face of this earth. And if we can't give it, then we don't understand what we got. We don't understand what we have been given to us. The Samaritan's heart is filled with sympathy and empathy. There's sorrow, there's understanding, and then there's action. There's action. The Samaritan draws closer to the injured man, you see. Then he gets off his donkey. See, he's riding on an animal down the road. Then he walks to the man. Then he kneels down to tend to the injured man's wounds. Because, please know, if someone is injured, you can't bandage up their wounds if you're not willing to kneel down beside them to do it. You can't do it from a horse. Okay? 
can't do it from a horse. He had to get down and get his hands dirty and bloody and get his knees dirty to bandage up this brother's wounds. He uses his resources. He uses his time to do it. Look at verse 34. He goes to him, buys up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He doesn't leave the man there. He doesn't say, I've done my part. No. He picks the injured man up off the ground and then lifts him up and puts him on his animal. And then you know what that means? He has to walk the rest of the way. While the other man is comfortable, he has to walk. And he walks him to this public lodging place called an inn. And when he arrives at the inn, again, he doesn't leave him there. He doesn't pass him off to someone else. He takes care of him in the inn. Verse 34b, then he sets him on his own animal, brings him to an inn, and takes care of him. That's all inclusive. You know what else that means? He bathed him. He gave him food. He gave him drink. He rebandaged the wounds. He's checking on him throughout the night, which means he probably didn't get much sleep. So the Samaritan experienced discomfort so the injured man could be comforted. And the next day, he decides to shoulder a monetary expense on behalf of the injured man so that he can continue to recover. He does so without expecting anything in return. He does so without being guilted into doing it. He does so because he's a neighbor. Because his heart went out to the man who was injured. You don't have to go to a conference to have compassion on people. It just takes your heart being broken by Jesus. It takes your heart being broken by Jesus in order for you to love people. That's what it takes. Verse 35 said, the next day he takes out two denarii, that is two days' pay, and gives them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. He still isn't done being a neighbor. He's going to come back and check on them again. Do you see what our Savior is doing? Do you understand what he's doing in these verses? He uses the Samaritan as an example of what it's like to, to be a neighbor to other people. It means you must be close to people, but you also must connect with them, have compassion on them, and be willing to extend mercy to them. That's what he's teaching us. That's what he's showing us. And after he concludes the parable, the question he asked the law expert, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And again, the law expert got it right. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus' words, go and do likewise. His words to you, go and do likewise. In order to be a neighbor, your proximity to people must be connected with connection, compassion, and mercy. Look at your life. Look at your relationships. Look back on your encounters and interactions with people this week. Look at your social media posts and trolling, because some of you do troll on social media. Did you connect? Did you have compassion? Did you show mercy? You won't do either of those if Jesus doesn't soften your heart to do it. That's another amen statement. You're to be a neighbor to others because Jesus is a neighbor to you. Is he a neighbor to you? Yes. 
You're to connect with others because Jesus connects with you in your mess, in your shadiness, in your brokenness. You're to have compassion for others because Jesus has compassion for you. There's nothing that you go through that Jesus won't be compassionate to you for. you, You can have the floor right now and, and, and testify if you think Jesus has never been compassionate to you. I'll sit down and let you come up here. If you can say, that ain't true of Jesus. If you can say that Christ ain't my neighbor, he's not compassionate towards me, he doesn't connect with me, he connects with you. He shows you mercy. And we're to show mercy because he's shown mercy to us. You're to love because Jesus loves you. He's Emmanuel to you all the days of your life. That means something. That's truth. And look at this table. Look at this table. That This table is a reminder of something. It's not just about us drinking some grape juice and, and drink, eating some bread so you can get you a little uh, snack before lunch. What does this table communicate to you about Jesus? What does it communicate? This table reminds you that it wasn't, a, it wasn't convenient for Jesus to die for your sins. It wasn't risk-free for him to die on the cross for your sins. It was painful. And for some of us, that's just sand in our hands. It makes no difference. But it was not convenient for him to die on the cross for our sins. It was risky. It cost him his life. But he did it because he loves you. He does it because he loves you. He chose discomfort. Please notice. He chose discomfort so that you can live in the comforts of God's favor. He chose it. No one made him discomforted. He chose to do that. Because any moment he could have got down from that cross, okay? Any moment he could have pulled those nails out and walked on and said, hey, I'll see y'all later. Any moment. He chose that for you. Because he loves you. The cross is a but the Lord that has benefited you richly because he butted your sin. He butted his own wrath on the cross for you. But do you believe that? Do you believe it? As I said last week, the cross is proof that Jesus hasn't passed you by. That he hasn't passed you by. He would never pass you by. And he's not passing you by. And the resurrection is proof that Jesus is Emmanuel forever. Because we don't serve a crucified Savior. He rose. Oh, that's my amen statement again. Okay. He rose. I need a flashlight where I can just shine it. We do not serve a Savior who is still in the grave, saints. A resurrected Savior is who we serve. And right now, he's in heaven looking down upon you, his people. That has to make a difference in our life. This can't just be formality. This is life. This is real life. The gospel has to be real to you. Not just the the conference of where we live, the gospel. What Christ has done for you is the reason why you have what you have. Not because we're Americans and we have the luxuries that we have in this country. It's because of him. Because we can lose all that we have, and he's still good. He can lose everything, and he's still good. We can be persecuted, and he's still good. 
Do you think he loves our neighbors who are being our sisters and brothers who are persecuted now? You think he loves them less because they're suffering for the gospel? No, he loves them too. Same way he loves us. He loves them. He loves us too. In this table, he invites you to come. He says, Come, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you tired? Are you finally tired? Then you need to come to him. And if you are his people and you have faith in him and, and you're struggling and you're heavy laden this morning, then you need to take this meal and receive your spiritual nourishment from Jesus today. You need to believe me. He is for you. You are not alone. You have not been abandoned. Because as I said in, in the staff meeting, if all of this is a lie, then I'm an idiot. Okay? I'm a fool. If none of this is real, I'm an idiot for being up here if the gospel isn't real. I went to seminary and all that training for nothing. This stuff is real. This is truth. And you've got to believe that, despite what the world says. So if you're his people, you're invited to come. Now, if you don't know Christ and you don't profess faith in him, we're glad that you're here. There are some prayers and other things in the bulletin that I would advise you to look at. And adults, we do ask the kids that are with you to abstain from the elements until they've been invited to the table um, by the elders of the church. Now, all the kids. Can I see all the kids? This is my favorite part of the table because I get to talk to the little babies. I want each and every one of you to know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That is not a fairy tale story. That is not a Disney movie. That's truth. He died for you. And it's my, it's my prayer as your pastor along with your parents that one day each and every one of you will come to saving faith in him and be able to partake of this meal with your mom and dad. So until then, please know that the gospel is for you. Jesus loves you. And he welcomes all of the kids into his arms. And so it's our prayer that one day you will be able to make professional faith in that. Now I would like to invite the officers forward who's going to assist with the um, table, and now I want to spend a couple moments asking you to ask the Holy Spirit to prepare your hearts for the Lord's table. Whew, I'm on this whole therapy. I thought about having one more of those communion breads because of the sugar. <laughs> Pray for your pastor. Now, here's God's benediction. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please, treat, please greet each other.